heaven to welcome into Pro Football Ireland, uh, getting every day closer to the next NFL season, which is scarily creeping up on us. Michael McQueen, Mark Hogan, Jason Hayes. Uh, delighted to be joined by Tom Palacero today. Tom, uh, how are you, my friend? You doing good? Don't tell my wife that the season is creeping up. We just now kind of got into real lull in the off season, but yeah, I mean, training camps are open about six weeks uh, from now here, so it, it's not that far away. And I always get to this point in the off season too, and start thinking about all the conversations we've had going back to free agency in March, and all the hypotheticals and everything else. And is this team going to be good? Is this team going to be bad? Can this guy still play? How's the fit for this rookie? We're finally going to find out. We get a training camp. We get of the season. Like it's the real thing, and we can start talking about what's actually happening, not what might happen, what hypothetically could happen, which is always, at least for me, uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know how um, you know quiet has really been for you. Of course, we all know you over here from NFL Network, but most recently, it's of Rich Eisen fame. How is that uh, house Nacho? It's a lot of fun. Rich has had me come out a few times and uh, host that show out in uh, El Segundo, California, outside of Los Angeles. It's, it's a totally different challenge. It takes me back to my uh, radio days where you know it's a lot different talking for three straight hours with about six breaks as opposed to you know 40 seconds at a time on TV. So it, it was cool, too, because I just kind of, you know, during the offseason, things are a lot more laid back for the people within the league. So, you know, reached out to some of the guys in the league. Brandon Staley came on, Kevin Stefanski, Leonard Fournette, Alvin Cook came on. Um, you know, it was interesting to talk to him the first time that he's really talked since he got released by the Vikings here. So it was a great time. I, I'm I'm hopeful. Rich was uh Rich was texting me from Israel. He seemed to like what we were uh what we were doing on the show. So hopefully I get to do that again. I might jump in with a couple of uh, questions in a row here, guys, if that's okay. A couple of running back related questions. Tom, you mentioned Dalvin Cook there. Any updates in terms of potential suitors for him and, or what he's looking for in a team? He's got a lot of different options right now. Um, I don't get the sense that anything is pressing in terms of he feels like he needs to sign in the, in the next few days here. Training camp start again the last week of July. And even then, you know, if he doesn't have his number, he potentially could wait here. I mean, the things that when he came on the Rich Eisen show with me that he talked about were he, he wants a place that's going to value him and he wants a place where he's going to get the football. Now, obviously, he'd like to be playing for somebody who can win and win big as well. But, you know, for him, we, we talked so much about the running back market and, you know, what's going on there. Uh, and it was funny on that show, I had Leonard Fournette on, literally had to let him go to bring on Dalvin. We were just talking about the market. Well, here's a guy who just got released yeah, I still believe um, that Dalvin Cook's going to get a significant contract here. You know, he's not going to come in and just play for five, six, seven million dollars. There's just not a lot of reason for him uh, to do that here. So, what exactly is that number ultimately going to be? I, I would tend to think that he probably would like to get back to what he was making before, which would have been eleven million dollars this season. Whether that's hard, whether that's with incentives, what's the team? You know, the big thing, too, is just he, he doesn't want to be a, a role player at this point in his career, nor should he. He's 27 years old. He just got that shoulder fix that had been bugging him for years, coming off four consecutive Pro Bowl 1,000-yard seasons. This is not a guy who needs to come in and, and play in a timeshare. Maybe some running backs would have a different you know opinion of that in terms of wanting to preserve their bodies. But for Dalvin, he's always been a guy who, as he gets lathered up, he gets more touches, uh, he gets rolling. He's obviously still a, a home run hitter. And a guy who's a really good dude, too, a guy I really like talking to because I live up here in Minnesota, got to talk to on a regular basis uh, for quite a while. 
you know, so, you know, I, I'm sure that he's going to find the right fit and somebody's going to be getting a really good player and a really good dude too. Yeah, it's definitely a, a hot topic at the moment, that running back market, isn't it? Um, you have Josh Jacobs down in Vegas who's reluctant to sign his franchise tag. He tweeted a couple of weeks ago, sometimes it's not about you. We got to do it for the ones after us, hinting that he's taking a stand of sorts for future generations. Uh, Saquon Barkley as well was asked about sitting out in 2023. Should he not reach a long-term extension? And he said, that's a card I could play. That comes up in conversation if something doesn't get done by July 17th. When that day comes up, then I'll have to sit down with my team, my family, and make decisions. That's some very strong statements between two of the, you know, two of the league's best backs um, right now. So who is the leverage here, the running backs or the teams? Well, I think that's one of the really interesting questions, which is, you know, for the running backs, and the part of the point Saquon was making was he's so important to the team. This is not a team that has Patrick Mahomes on. And he's like, don't get it twisted. It's not about Daniel. Let's be honest. Nobody's Patrick Mahomes. So the point being, on that Giants team, especially the first half of last season, they needed to feed Saquon the ball a lot. And he carried them uh, for a good chunk of the season before they finally kind of got the passing game rolling here. So I would just tell you, any player's greatest leverage is withholding their services. And if one of those guys decides not to show up for training camp, potentially hold out to the regular season, that's where the pressure point exists. But for the franchise tag guys, the only time they can get a long-term deal done is prior to July 17th. After that, all they can do is a revised one-year deal or play on the tender. So it's the threat of potentially not showing up that really exists um, to create that leverage point early on prior to the franchise tag deadline. In Saquon's case, at least they've been going back and forth. They've been in negotiations. They've exchanged uh, a variety of different uh, proposals here over the past several months. With Josh Jacobs, last I checked, there was still nothing really happening at all. They weren't in a, a negotiation phase. So much as the focus is on Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, I don't like handicapping things, but I'd have to say the more likely player to not show up at the start of training camp, maybe, I, I can't say with certainty he showed up week one, probably Josh Jacobs. I mean, you have to wonder like what the, the long-term future of the position looks like off the back of these these stories. I can't imagine there's many high school or college athletes right now looking at the running back position and thinking that's something I want to do when these tough guys are, are struggling to, to get what they want. Do you think we could see the quality of the position begin to decline over the next few years as potentially younger stairs don't go down that route. Well, the irony of that is that part of the reason teams are reluctant to sign NFL running backs to big top contracts is because there's so many running backs at the college level. You can get a guy, especially you know, with the expanse of the, the Shanahan-McVay style of offense and zone running kind of becoming in vogue again. The, you know, the, the word has always been on that, that while you can, you know, the line can create things and the scheme can create things and just look no further than Shanahan, who's had how many different backs be productive for the 49ers. Now, the 49ers are also the team that traded for the highest paid running back in the league in Christian McCaffrey. He's a unique type of a weapon because you can split him out and you can play him in the backfield and Shanahan likes that versatility. So it's funny, but one coach, one team really makes the arguments on both sides of this coin. I don't think that players now i certainly think that given the choice you may want to be you know leaning toward a certain position but you know body types matter the position you play when you're young matters and running back is also unique in that you can actually create for yourself wide receiver is a uniquely dependent position if your quarterback is bad it's gonna be a lot harder for you to get your touches 
running back, yeah, if your line's bad, that makes your job harder. But at least you know the ball is going to be in your hands with the opportunity to do something here. Everybody's going to look at it different. You know, I asked Leonard Fournette if he would go back in time. And, you know, for him, not really. You know, this was kind of the spot that that he'd always been in here. He's been a really good player. He has made uh, quite a bit of money here. It, I think it's going to be less about those top, top guys than what happens to the middle of the road starting running backs here because you can mint these new players. You can draft two or three of them, hope one works out, and you end up with a guy on basically a minimum type of contract as opposed to paying somebody 10, 12, 14, 16 million. I have to piggyback what you and the guys have said about Rich and just yourself. It's been enjoyable seeing you on Rich's show, um, Tom, and obviously he's having a hell of a vacation as it stands at the minute. So the, the invite's open, Rich. We talked to Munich about this, but enjoy Israel for now, my friend. Um, you're talking about five, six weeks out from training camp. We don't know who's going to be in hard knocks. Now, this is like the, the oh my God, topic on every television show every day. But as of today, I've seen a rumor that the commanders, if they were asked to do it, would be interested. Can we just run it back, Tom, and have Campbell and the Lions do it? Is there like a rule in the in the rule book that we can just do it if it comes down to it? I mean, if they put their hands up for it, then potentially you could go down that road again. I think that for HBO and NFL Films, they like the variety. They like different teams doing it. Commanders make sense in a lot of cases because, you know, for me, you're looking for somebody who's got drama on some level. And there's been a lot of discussion about the Jets. I think we'd all like to see the Jets on hard knocks again. But for the commanders, you have a quarterback competition, at least sort of. They were initially saying Sam Howell. Now it's kind of it's Howell versus Jacoby Brissett, which makes sense. One guy's played a lot of football. One guy's played one game, basically. You've got a potential ownership change that could happen during the show because one of the two dates that NFL owners were given to potentially vote on a commander sale is I think it's like August sixth or eighth or somewhere there so you literally could have the team sold during the show which has never happened and might actually get dan snyder on camera for the first time in like a decade uh you've got a coach who is very much coaching for his job you got eric b enemy who is a fascinating personality as the new offensive coordinator there you got brian robinson who you know less than a year ago was shot survived and came back and played you got, you know, the drama with Chase Young and what ultimately happens there. I just think that it checks so many boxes of what you would want to see on hard knocks. Um, maybe not as sexy as the Jets, but I, I would lean toward one of those two teams. If I'm picking, which I'm not, those two teams, I think, make a lot of sense. And, you know, Ron Rivera's also never shied from the camera. I think that if it came down to it, you know, yeah, you don't necessarily want the disruption. But when you're coaching for your job and you're somebody who, you know, like Ron is a pretty entertaining guy to talk to. He is very thoughtful. He's got a long track record. He's got a hell of a backstory. I just think it makes a, it makes a ton of sense. I also don't know when you're selling from one owner to another, who has to sign off on that before you get into hard knocks. So that's a all other questions. It would be unprecedented. One of the other big dramas at the moment is obviously what happened with Stephon Diggs in recent days. Do you think that's going to be a narrative that continues in over the next few weeks, or even months? Or has it been put to bed? Well, here here's the thing. And I think that, obviously, Sean McDermott could have chose different words. He was asked, are you concerned? Or how concerned are you? And he said, well, very concerned. If you could have that back, you'd probably want to just tweak the language on that because I think it created a lot of questions that really didn't get at the core of the issue here. But what has been created now, what is concerning, is yes, exactly what you said, which is even though 
from my understanding, there were a lot of conversations that happened between Stefan Diggs and multiple people behind the scenes in Buffalo, and it really boiled down to the offense, communication, and things like that. But now, because that happened, because it was all this buildup for months, which is also part of why this kind of came to a head, if this happened in OTAs where there's not so much of a focus and it's voluntary, that probably would have been better timing, but it sounds like Diggs just didn't want to show up until minicamp. And so the whole thing blows up. Well, now, if you see something during training camp and he's you know gesturing or whatever after a play or week one, he's showing frustration on the sidelines, it goes from, oh, Stephon Diggs, fiery competitor, you know, he's just, he's upset to, ooh, is this about to blow up? The thing that I think everybody was missing is it's virtually impossible for the Bills to trade him. They redid his contract back in March and he got a 20-odd million dollar signing bonus. There's no way they would have done that if they were open in any way to trading him. And there's also one year after he got a new contract, an extension done. Just the dead cap alone means they'd be so upside down on the cap there's no way that would happen. Diggs is getting paid near the top of the wide receiver market, so you know it's not money-driven for him either. This really was about certain dynamics within the locker room. You know, you go back in time, if McDermott doesn't talk that day and he talks the next day, or if Diggs comes in a day early and these things play out, you can sing the Kumbaya song. It's a lot harder to do that now. And so you will have that scrutiny uh, on Diggs and the Bills. I think that, you know, the other thing is the people within Buffalo know who Diggs is. I know him, you know, decently well from his days here in Minnesota too. You know, he's he likes a little bit of the drama. He he does, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's during the off season when it comes down to playing. There's nobody who competes more. There's nobody who goes harder in practice than Stephon Diggs. He's been a really good receiver. Who's gotten the most out of himself as a fifth round draft pick and gotten paid a couple of times here. Uh, I would anticipate that you know, football wise, nothing's going to change with Stephon Diggs. It's just managing. You know, some of those other things, if and when there there's something that becomes public again. Uh, sticking with the receiver market, Tom, um, we have the uh, mark. You can block your ears for this one if you want. It's a tough, cheat topic as Cardinals fans. But um, DeAndre Hopkins visited Tennessee and New England last week. Could we expect anything to get done there or is he going to slow play this thing? It's really possible. Those are the two teams that have kind of been at the forefront since he got released, there are two teams that have the flexibility to do the type of number DeAndre Hopkins is wanting, and both teams need an upgrade at wide receiver. I mean, you saw the frustration from Mike Brable last year about what they were throwing to after the A.J. Brown trade. And Traylon Burks got a chance to be a really good player, but he's young. He, he missed half his rookie season, roughly. Um, you know, very talented, but adding a veteran to that room makes a ton of sense. Then with the Patriots, getting back with Bill O'Brien, who, you know, had him when Diop was was an all-pro. He knows exactly how he'd fit in. He knows the offense already. Um, you know, is he the type of personality, the worker that Bill Belichick always looks for? Maybe not, but Bill Belichick has also made his affinity for DeAndre Hopkins clear through the years, including that one mic'd up segment that's been uh, been making the rounds here. Um, again, though, there's other teams lurking. There are other teams that potentially could get in the mix. Um, for Hopkins, you know, I think the, the playing for a contender thing, got blown up a little bit here. Obviously, given the choice, all things equal, you'd lean toward the contender. But for Hop, he, he does want to get paid a certain number. And he also wants to go someplace that he can show that, hey, even at age 32, I think he is, coming off a couple injury seasons and having the suspension and all those other things, he can still perform at a really high level. You know, Being a bit player on a playoff team versus being a big-time player on a team that's just kind of scrapping 
to be a playoff team, which is you know, at least going in. Again, we're, we're in hypothetical mode. It's June 19th, but the Titans, the Patriots, if you looked at the odds in Vegas or you broke down predictions right now, you probably have them both right around that cut line, right, to get into the AFC playoff field. Maybe he's the type of guy who can go and get a bunch of balls thrown at him and, and help put him over the top. He's got to prove that he can stay healthy. That's the biggest thing for DeAndre Hopkins. We know that he's a rare talent. His personality is probably not for everyone, but doesn't matter much when he's out there on the field. He's just got to show that he can stay on the field. Again, there's going to be other teams that are in that mix, but the Titans, the Patriots, based on him visiting those teams, you can feel pretty confident that they're willing to be in the neighborhood that he's looking for money-wise. Quick final far round of questions from the three of us very quickly. Uh, Tom, I feel like everyone's talking about the AFC East, even more so as AFC West as well. Man, the AFC North has got serious potential this season, more so than usual, because you know you have a full offseason with the Sean Kenny Pickett's next year in, in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, everything going on there. It's, it's going to be a hell of a division this year. You know, the division we were talking about with that last year was the AFC West, and boy, with Russell Wilson going to Denver, and the Raiders are loading up, bringing in Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams, and you know, how exactly are the Chiefs going to keep up in this division? And then you got to the end of it and the Chiefs won the Super Bowl again. And, you know, the rest of the division wasn't uh, wasn't all that great. Obviously, the Chargers got into the playoffs. And I think that there's a high upside on that team. But that was the division we were looking at being like, boy, this is going to be unbelievable. And then you got about a month into the season, you're like, this is this is a little, little rough here. And I think that sometimes we overestimate things in terms of how quickly teams can get up to speed. I mean, the two teams in that division last year that were disappointments were the Raiders and the Broncos. Well, they both had new head coaches installing totally different systems. There were significant pieces being moved around. They just never really, you know, gathered any momentum, even though everybody forgets the Broncos. I want to say were two and one early last season. It wasn't pretty, but they were finding ways to win games. And then it just, they never really gathered that steam. Russell Wilson never really looked like Russell Wilson. Obviously, you know, Nathaniel Hackett pays the price and he ends up out there uh, in the AFC East. You mentioned the AFC North. Yeah, that's the division that I think is kind of like the AFC West last year where, and I think that division always just because of the rivalries, it always kind of is in that category of, boy, you don't want to miss a game in that division just because, you know, you know when the Ravens go out with the Steelers or the Bengals against the Browns, the Bengals against, you know they're going to be good games, but top to bottom, it, it looks like a really tough division. I mean, the Ravens, you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be growing pains there too. Todd Munkin's going to run a different type of system. Lamar says there'll be a lot less running, a lot more throwing. Which if I'm a defensive coordinator in the AFC North, I'm like, great. I don't want Lamar to run all over the place. I mean, I'll take my chances with a pass-first offense, but this is kind of the next step in Lamar's mind, too, to unlocking everything that he can be. So you go out and you get him Odell Beckham Jr., you get him my guy Zay Flowers from BC, and you hope that this thing can really, you know, really go, especially now that he's been paid. He doesn't have those things in the back of his mind. Um, you got the Steelers. With To me, it's about Kenny Pickett staying healthy. There was so much focus last year on the Tua Tunga Bailoa concussion situations. People forgot Kenny Pickett had multiple concussions last season as well. Um, and so, you know, being able to stay on the field is going to be a big thing for Pickett. They go out and make some, you know, low risk types of moves like bringing in Allen Robinson in free agency. I think that that helps them, makes their receiver core that much deeper. You know, Tomlin's team's always going to be competitive. The Bengals had to figure out Joe Burrow's contract situation, but. You know, we all know it's going to end up being Joe Burrow gets a boatload of money one way or another. That's how that's going to end. It just is a matter of when that happens, what the structure of it is. Bengals are one of those teams that's right there every year. And if the Chiefs didn't exist, the Bengals might have won a Super Bowl already. So, yeah, they're going to be tough. And then the Browns are the one that I don't know, you know, exactly what it's going to look like. I know that they've got a lot of star power. They got a lot of 
highly drafted players. They've got, you know, you bring in Zedarius Smith on another low-risk deal uh, to play him opposite uh, of Miles Garrett. That's something that should help him. They had a lot of injuries last season, and they had a quarterback who knew, found out during training camp that he was missing the first 11 games of the season. And obviously, there were you know very good reasons for that in the league's mind uh, to suspend him based on serious allegations of sexual misconduct. But the Browns were willing to trade all their picks and give him a five-year, $230 million fully guaranteed contract. And those last six games were all you had to judge for a guy who really hadn't played football in two years because he didn't play the whole 2021 season either. So, you know, Deshaun said that the offense is going to be different this year. I asked Stefanski on the Rich Eisen show about that comment, and he said, yeah, it, it will be. They're going to do some things uh, that are different here. And Stefanski also said when they really went back through the tape of those last six games, there were flashes of what he referred to as the elite quarterback play. The Browns don't make that deal if they don't think they're getting a top five quarterback in the NFL. You have a top five quarterback in the NFL, you should be winning and winning big. And it's not just the Deshaun Watson show. They've got Nick Chubb. They got Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones. They traded for Elijah Moore. They've got weapons. They got a good offensive line. And they're going to do things differently now, you know, attacking with Jim Schwartz, calling that defense. So that could be one of the dark horse types of teams in the whole NFL. If things come together here, you got top five quarterback play. You should be a Super Bowl contender. But to your point, to do that, you got to get through the Ravens and the Steelers and the Bengals. Are they going to be able to do that? I, I absolutely think, again, going in several months out, it should be a really fun division. We definitely don't need to do a preview of that division anymore, lads. We can just cut that clip and that's all the breakdown we need, I think. But um, moving from the AFC North to the NFC North... Nice transition there. Um, Danielle Hunter was a name that made headlines last week for holding out from Vikings mandatory minicamp. What do we think is the more likely scenario in his future now? A, a trade or an extension? A really good question. It's one the Vikings uh, are going to be working through here and really have been throughout the course of the spring. Yeah, With Hunter, he came back last season fully healthy, played every game, had another double-digit sack season and he's still somehow only 28 years old which seems impossible but he was drafted age 20 out of lsu so here's a guy with 70 plus career sacks who is certainly available but what's the price not just in terms of a trade but also what's that contract need to look like if you're a young pass rusher in this environment number one you're waiting for nick bosa to get his bag of money from the 49ers which could be you know somewhere around 30 million a year and I don't want to sign for under 25 if I'm a top young pass rusher. Hunter's already been paid. Again, because he came into the league so young, he's already gotten one, you know, he's already gotten a second contract in the NFL, which is really where you normally get paid. Now he's got a chance for a third bite at the apple. And for the Vikings, you're trying to keep a lot of flexibility into 2024. I mean, you look what they've done, turning over their roster through the course of the offseason here. They moved on from Dalvin Cook and Eric Kendricks and Adam Thielen and Zedarius Smith. Patrick Peterson left in free agency here. What they're trying to do is maintain the resources to retain their young core, guys like Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson on long-term deals. And the way that you do that is you let some older guys go, and also you keep your flexibility open as you look into 2024. So you do a one-year deal with Marcus Davenport, Cousins deal. They would have done another probably a shorter-term extension, but that wasn't really of interest to Cousins. So at this point, Looks like he'll hit the market if they don't do a deal after the season. And then with Hunter, you're probably looking at a one-year type of upgrade on the contract just because I don't 
foresee the Vikings could change. I don't foresee the Vikings going to that 25 plus million dollar a year range on a long-term deal for Daniil Hunter. At this stage in the offseason, it's also harder to replace him. You trade away Zadarius Smith, so who's playing opposite of Marcus Davenport? Minnesota won 13 games last year. They were a playoff team. They won the division going away. It's not normally a, a division that you, excuse me, a position where you're thinking we got to blow the thing up. They've used the term, you know, competitive rebuild many times, and that's really kind of the sweet spot they're trying to find here, which is how do we keep the key young guys, this core together, kind of patch around them with some of those shorter term things. And then eventually, obviously, whether it's Kirk Cousins or it's a young guy, you got to find the long-term uh, quarterback solution, all which is a really long way of saying, Neil Hunter will be playing somewhere this season. He'll be playing more for more than the $5.5 million that he's under contract for. I don't know at this stage, is that going to be Minnesota or is that going to be someplace else? All options are on the table. Tom, we'll leave you with this one. We've been asking him plenty about um, this season. But, you know, with your insider and your kind of finger on the pulse, we might look a bit more into the future, right? And maybe what your job will entail over the next maybe course of the year. Three storylines that I think we are going to see come out over the next few months. Maybe you'll tell us which one you think is most likely. Um, what the and you, you mean, or maybe you have some inkling already, the Cardinals' future quarterback, we don't know if they're going to maybe go in the draft next year, will they have Kyler? Um, Aaron Rodgers potentially retiring, or maybe John Gruden getting, he he's around Tampa Bay at the moment, but maybe coming into the league in a more substantial role again. Do you see that happening? Well, uh, to rewind your questions, really good one on the Cardinals, because Monty Osford, his first draft, Jonathan Gann, the new head coach there, they made a big priority on getting 2024 draft picks. They picked up an extra one next year, and I believe two twos out of those that maneuvering that they did uh, early on in the draft. Kyler's contract is very tradable in terms of the cash flow. You know, he, he wasn't tradable now because he's got a torn ACL, but he'll be healthy at some point uh, during the course of the season, and maybe you get him back on the field, and you can show people that he's fully healthy. Uh, potentially look to move on. Maybe they really like him. Maybe they decide they can win with Kyler Murray, but they've built in that flexibility. And let's be honest, they're, they know they're in a rebuild. They're not probably going to win a ton of games this year. I'm sure Jonathan Gann, knowing his personality, is going to walk in there you know, with all the swagger in the world like they're going to win 12 games. Odds are not going to happen, so you're probably going to have a high pick. And even if you don't end up with the highest pick, you're going to have a ton of ammunition to potentially move up. So definitely can go a lot of different ways. I don't think they've made that decision. From everything I've heard, Kyler in the building in meetings has been really good with the new staff. Uh, so we'll see what direction that goes. Aaron Rodgers potentially retiring. That's going to be the storyline uh, forever until he does. He's going to be the new Tom Brady in that regard. And I know Rodgers physically feels like he can go another however many years here. Is he really going to do it? He's very much going to be on the, you know, the the Brady or the Brett Favre plan back in the day, which was every year kind of assessed. And so that's going to be a uh, uh, certainly a big storyline too. And then with regard to John Gruden, yeah, he's, you know, he was in Saints camp doing some things just as a, a consultant there. He has been working with, he's back in Florida doing kind of his fired uh, coaches thing that he was doing when he was out the first time when he was working at ESPN. Uh, so he's ready for another opportunity. He also has an active lawsuit that's proceeding uh, against the NFL and Roger Goodell. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an attorney, so I don't want to speak out of school here, but I don't know that while that lawsuit is still going on that I see John Gruden being back in the NFL. It's possible his next stop could be at the college level. And you can imagine that some Power 5 program that's looking for a Deion Sanders like Joel, you hire John Gruden, 
there's some places where you're not going to be able to do that. Um, I'm sure you guys understand ge- geographically in the U.S. There's probably some places where, based on what John Gruden was suspended for, which was racist and homophobic and misogynistic language in emails, there's some places where the alumni and the people funding the program are going to be more open to having that person come in than others. And so if John Gruden wanted to do that, I believe he could do that You know, after the season. He could have done it this year. He could be in the college game anytime. I don't think he comes back in any other role in the NFL. I think it's you know just the job's not open to Monday Night Football right now. I don't know if he'd want to get back into broadcasting. I think that the most likely, if I'm guessing, the most likely scenario is John Gruden comes back into the college game. But never say never on the NFL too, especially depending on what happens with the lawsuit. How that entire thing plays out, um, you know, we may not heard of the last of Coach John Gruden. Time will tell. Time will tell, Tom. You've been incredibly grateful with not just your time here, but I've had your head right for weeks for coming on. So appreciate it, mate. And we will definitely get you a Starbucks, something stronger in Vegas in February. Yeah, enjoy obviously the preseason and the season. Hopefully, you get to come to Frankfurt or London or something. Hit us up if you do, and enjoy the next few weeks before it gets. I'm, I'm hoping busy. I can negotiate that. We'll see if it happens. Fingers crossed. Appreciate having me, guys.